Welcome to the Exit Insights podcast. Today, we're going to do something a bit different. I've got my business partner with me, Kevin, and we're going to talk about one of the things that we've kept coming up that have appeared in a number of our conversations recently. It's around that million pound business revenue mark. We've called today's episode, The Million Pound Failure. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Hi there, Daryl. Uh, this should be quite an interesting one, really, because we've had loads of conversations between us recently around some of the, the, the challenges and opportunities that exist for companies that hit that million pound mark and, and why they get there and why it's an issue. So this should be interesting. Absolutely. It's one uh, we've been talking about for a while now. And uh, so today we get to do it. So what is the million pound failure? Why don't you frame it up for us, Kevin? What, why are we calling this episode the million pound failure? Okay, the, it's the million pound failure, it's, it, our conversations have got us to this point when we've been observing for many, many years, businesses that get to around about one million pounds revenue, and then they can't grow from that point, um, or, or really struggle to break through into the, the second million and, and grow from there. And why is it a million pounds? Why, why is that level? Well, loosely a good kind of benchmark for business in general is that one employee is around about £100,000 revenue um, so the million pound company is about 10 people um, so that that's that, that kind of straight line is 10 people £1 million and why is it a problem to get to 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 people and why is it so difficult to grow the revenue above that £1 million mark? Exactly and uh so my, my understanding is that it, it's a ballpark, it's a benchmark, isn't it? You know, it's about a million pounds, it's about 10 people. And, and from what I've seen in, in consulting and coaching with businesses for, for a number of years is that, well, first, I'm going to throw it out there. All entrepreneurs are control freaks. So you know, they've started the business, it's their baby, they like to touch everything, they've grown up from scratch, and you know, nothing happens without their, their say-so um, and, and their magic touch. And, and they're often the best person in the business or they believe they're the best person in the business for sales or, or, or the technical side of whatever their product is. So when they get to about a million pounds, what, what I've seen happen a lot is that, um, you know, from a leadership perspective, you know, their span of control is that they can directly lead or manage or know what's going on with seven to 12 people is, is my ballpark estimate. And I, and I understand that um, the military has done a whole lot of research around this and around leadership principles. And they've come up with, they recognize that seven is the ideal uh, number of people that a leader, leader should be leading. So entrepreneurs naturally pushing the boat, got high energy, uh, spending a lot of time, you know, they'll push it up to 10. Uh, they can control everything that's going on. They know everything that's going on. Feedback, conversations keep coming back to them and they can stay in control of that. They, they try and keep growing and growing the way they've always been doing things. They'll get to 12, 14, 15 people. Then at some point they lose control. And so then they dial it back to what they could manage without you know, any, any structures in place or any new structures. So my premise is that, you know, getting up to, to 10 people, you don't need any management structure. You can control everything what's going on yourself and you can touch everything and you're feeling in control of your business. Get beyond that, 
you lose control. So, and without changing your structure, without introducing a management layer in your structure, you're never gonna get any further than that. So that's what I've seen. Um, so in summary, for me, business owners need to learn how do I create a structure that will enable me to delegate and maintain control. So that's my big premise, Kevin. Yeah, that's a good good start point. And uh, I, in my sort of thinking before we started talking today was that small, in small companies, everyone does everything. You know, if, you, if you're a one-man band, clearly you literally do everything. And um, at the other extreme, if you're a big company, a GlaxoSmithKline or whatever, you have departments, you have divisions, you have countries, and you have this huge structure. And and so what's the difference in the small and the big companies? And uh, and how, how do you make this kind of transition? And that growth step between those things is, is what we talk about as functionality, which we'll probably come back to later. But it's, it's a fun thing to do. And I, I recommend everyone keeps their eyes open for these one million pound businesses, the 10 people businesses, and take a view as to whether that's a well-structured, effective business, or whether it's a managing director with 10 assistants. And a thing I learned years ago is, is I can remember someone putting forward a case to employ a, 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 an assistant. And so there's one person, they said, I've got so much to do, I need an assistant. And it got rejected, that proposal, very simply, because if you have one person working for one person, you don't get the a, a two headcount staff level. You get about a one and a half. And if you're consistently employing people and they're an extension of yourself and you can do better and they're your assistants, you the inefficiency is, is enormous. The profitability is so low, but you don't trust people. You're looking over their shoulders. You have to double check everything, approve things and so on. Um, and, it, and it can't grow. So, so an MD with 10 assistants, no good at all. Um, and how, how do you get through that? I mean, I... I Many years ago, my first ever full-time job was in a, it was in an architecture uh, with an architect practice called Broadbent Hastings Reed and Todd. Uh, they were the four partners, and they they were wonderful people. Um, and I was the most junior person when I I started there, but they employed around about forty people, but they they actually had this sort of million-pound failure structure to it. It was four partners that had 10 assistants each, um, which is quite interesting, really. It's, uh, so, so you can get this kind of clustering of 10 people that's not going to grow within other structures. So, so how would that firm, how would that architect practice grow? It would get another partner in and create another pod of 10 people, effectively, yeah. which kind of works. But And the type of businesses we're dealing with there needs to be something much more effective to, to, to break through that, that million pound barrier and to not fail. It's an interesting point, isn't it? Because you know, they're, they're a, a partner or an owner with 10 assistants, they're effectively still self-employed. Yeah, it's a self-employed business because as soon as you extract that owner from the business, there's nothing left. There's nothing to sell because the assistants are typically out there, they're helping the business owner they're in roles where they're doing what they're asked to do. You know, the, the owner has typically um, employed someone who's, you know, less qualified than themselves because they want to get the, the cheapest salary. 
which means they constantly need monitoring and being told what to do and, and checking in and you know on, on the work that's being done. So it's a self-employed business which really has limited value beyond the, the basic um, revenue and, and any ongoing revenue that's you know, generated by the business. So there's there's a first limitation. So I think Go on. What's that, what's that expression? If you're the cleverest person in the room, you're probably in the wrong room. And it, it reminds me of, uh, again, a business I had some personal experience with at the front end of my career where a marketing person was employed and they set about employing the best marketing person they could and what a great marketing person it was. But they didn't let that marketing person be the best marketing person that they could be. They, they sat there and continued to get involved and try and do the marketing themselves. Why, why employ that expert in that specific function and not let them get on with it? It's, uh, that, that's, the, that's typically one of those steps where things go wrong. You start to employ a sales manager. Well, why, do you, why are you going to carry on trying to get involved in managing the sales yourself? You employ that person because they're really good at it. They've, they've got experience, they're professional, they're trained, they know what to do. Let them be that person. Other, otherwise, you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, if you keep a lid on them, you end up frustrating them. If you keep on overseeing what they do and correcting them and, and keeping tight reins on them and don't let them make their own mistakes, they, they can go one of two ways. They can, they can just get frustrated and leave because uh, you know, you know, it's not working for them. They're, they're, they're not working to their potential in which case the business goes, hey, you can't find good people because, you know, you know whatever reason, it just you know, blames the, the, the lack of people. Or the other thing that happens is that uh, they just become complacent and they just stop showing initiative. They stop trying hard because they go, hey, well, I won't go the extra step because whatever I do, the boss just comes in and reworks it or tells me not to do it in any case. So I'll just do the bare minimum and, you know, do whatever I have to do. So... It, it seems that we're trying to do the right thing when we, we're, we're keeping control of everything, but we're actually limiting the business and we're becoming the biggest bottleneck ourselves and slowing down the growth. So it's, it's really kind of counterintuitive at the end of the day. Yes, and I, I think most businesses that start up um, in the UK, and there's uh, around, a, around about 12% of businesses in the total number of businesses in the UK are born each year and start, and there's about eight, nine percent uh, closed down for whatever reason. These businesses that are starting, um, they're people that are really good at something. They might be really good at PR, they might be really good at carpentry, they might be really good at selling cars. And it, it, it's, it's kind of a craft skill, it's a technical skill. Why, why do these people that are so good at certain things presume they can be good at everyone else's profession as they grow their business. It's, I mean, you know, I'd like to be Superman as well. Um, but wh why do they think that they can then be the greatest person at HR about policies and procedures and about health and safety and about, about marketing and about finance? And, and so it goes on. Why can't they recognise that their strength is the really valuable thing and trust the people that they put into these functions to do the job better than they ever could do it? And then that frees them up to do the thing they probably enjoyed in the first place and to grow a business in a way that is fun. And, you know, our experience, we, we've been talking to people over the last uh, year that 
get frustrated and aren't enjoying business as much as they did because they're working in things that frankly they find tedious aspects of the business when they could actually be palming those off to people that are better than them it's an interesting point kevin and um so why do they keep doing it because you know it, it's easy for us to sit here and go this is what they need to do this is obvious they need to do this this and this and yet we're not attached we're detached from the situation so so why do business owners why do we see this happening again and again and again and and it becomes if you like the default behavior for business owners to want to behave in this way I, there, there's many reasons aren't there i think the the most dominant things that come come out in conversation for me are, are, are is a lack of trust of people um that's uh, that, that's a bit of a worrying one but a lack of trust is is, a, is an issue and there are ways people can work through that there are the, the that entrepreneurial mindset there's another problem where the entrepreneur always knows they can make the best decisions quicker than everyone else and, and they get involved um that that's clearly one and i think another one is one around the economics of business and when you're growing a business i mean you know we know that we've grown businesses more than once ourselves and uh, from from scratch and uh, at the outset every, every pound is a bit of an issue isn't it as you kind of bootstrap that business or carefully spend the, the invested money and the thought of spending more money at a time when there's other things you might want to do with it is feels a bit alien but actually what needs to be considered is how much time it frees up and um, you know if i if i spend half my day doing something that i i'm not really that good at um, but means we don't have to pay for it um, and it stops me doing the things i'm great at um that's a false economy absolute false economy and it it I think we're getting better at it as a nation, though. This, this, the, we, people talk about the gig economy and you know people that are available at short notice to do all sorts of things. We are getting more used to the concept, and uh, I think people need to understand what the core of their business is. What must they always be holding onto the reins of? You know, is it the brand? Is it the intellectual property of the business? Is it a products or a combination of those things? But it's unlikely to be the accountancy and the finance. It's it's unlikely to be some of the HR functions, it's not necessarily going to be logistics. And all of those things can be outsourced with, with a great benefit to quite often provide a more flexible, faster service. And, you know, we, we're prepared to do these things with IT, aren't we? Um, you know, it, was, it wasn't long ago, we all had tin boxes in the corner to store our data on. And now we quite happily will store things on AWS and spin up another server to do things without thinking about it. You know, we don't have to do that stuff. What we have to do is create the things that go on those servers, not manage servers. Okay. So we're sitting here on our soapbox having a bit of a rant around why do businesses get stuck at a million pounds and, and we're calling it a, yeah, we're being a bit, uh, yeah, a bit, bit mean, I guess, calling them million pound failures because in every other respect, you get a million, a business up to a million pounds, you're, you're quite a success really. So what can we share with business owners out there who are listening to this and going, okay, it's Daryl and Kevin, great, you've, you've told us the problem. How do we fix it? What do we have to do to get our business passed? How do we get that structure in place? How do we 
you know, you mentioned earlier, I mentioned earlier about having, you know, to be a, a structure where I can delegate and maintain control. What else do they have to do to get their business past that growth hurdle of 10 people and create a management team? Yeah, okay. So I think one of the key things, first of all, is to find people you can have a conversation with. You know, we, we know it's lonely running a business sometimes in that there's... Um, there's things you you can't or don't want to talk about with it with your team um or they don't necessarily have the business experience to be able to give input but if, if you don't have a peer group there's there's a couple of things you can do you can go out and find one or you can create one internally let's just address both of those because they're quite important going out and finding other people that have, uh, have successfully run businesses or can advise you around it is a really important thing to do they, these individuals that are having the problem need to stop working day to day and all the time in the business. And, and it's a, rather a cliche, but it's so important is you need to stand back and spend time thinking about the business and working, working on it. That's one thing. Secondly, the people that you think you don't, you can't have the conversation with internally. There's a massive amount of knowledge within the business, even if all those people have less experience and are more junior. Um, you know, if, if all those people that work with you only had five years business experience each, and there's 10 of them, that's 50 years of business experience before we start. But they also have different observations. And, and they, if, if we can open up and share with our teams what the, what the issues are, quite often an engaged person will start to go, Hey, that's interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna think about this and come up and offer solutions and 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 actually you can end up with 10 people being part of the solution, not the poor lonely founder of the business working all by themselves. Uh, that that'd be my start point is actually get a solution externally by finding a new peer group or an advisor or whatever, and and trust people and, and get set a challenge, lob that challenge into the group of 10 people and explain to them what your vision is and and what you see as the barriers and get them to help you solve it. So be a bit vulnerable by the sounds of it. You know, it's only yeah. here that's holding us back that we don't want to share all these issues, these problems with people. But you know, if we overcome that fear and, and be vulnerable, we'll realize that, hey, all these other people that are working for us, they, they don't see us as Superman, um, but they could you know, contribute to helping us because they're part of the business anyway. They want us to succeed. So all we've got to do is open up is, is one thing. And I think the other thing you mentioned is, is get involved in a peer group or you know, get a coach, consult, mentor, something like that. Someone who's been there before, someone who's unattached uh, and not emotionally involved in the business and therefore be a bit more objective to share some thoughts and ideas with you. Yeah, one absolutely. Of yeah, one of the things that I reckon is is always good is, is you mentioned a functional structure before. I think with that functional structure is, is yes, absolutely. What we tend to do is we try and as we grow our business, we try and copy, we go, okay, so I need to take my business to the next level. You know, where do I get input from? Well, I'll look at the next layer up. I'll look at PLCs, I'll look at corporates. Now they have a, a, an organizational chart in, in place, which is great for them but it just doesn't work for an SME type business, a mid-market business. You know, I think what we need for a mid-market business is a functional structure, which looks at all the functions first, rather than people in roles, which is what you get in a corporate structure. 
So it's a different type of business structure. And I think copying corporate business structures is one of the things that leads to failure. The other thing that we need in place is this culture of accountability. You know, we, we need to be able to have a culture so that I know as a business leader, when I ask someone to do something, that it's going to happen. Because we know what happens is, is from a psychological perspective, once you ask someone to do something, it's, it's left your head and your mind, your psychic you know, relaxes and says, well, that's been taken care of now. And then we go, you know, it's, you know at some point we, we remember, and we go, hey, look, how did you go with task X that I asked you to do? And they go, oh yeah, well, I was gonna do that, but work just got really busy and it got in the way and I never got around to it. And it's three months later now. So, and that's what I mean by the culture of accountability. We need to have some sort of, you know, understanding, dependable, you know, appreciation, if you like, that when we ask for something to get done, it's going to happen. And there won't be any of these excuses come into play that, you know, work got in the way, work got busy. And we need a process or a system to make sure that all those things happen and that we can keep an eye on them. And I think that culture matched with the functional chart or the functional structure are two of the key things we need. And you know, it's that culture that will help me to delegate and maintain control by having the system in place. I think those are, those are very good points. We've done really well here, haven't we? We've, we've had this conversation and we haven't used a sports an, an, an analogy once yet. Uh, let's keep it that way. I'm going to use a music one. Um, you, while you were speaking, you just sprung to mind that uh, if you're a solo guitar guitarist singer and you turn up by yourself you do everything don't you, you you're, you're in charge you've got no one to trust it's up to you to make sure you know everything at the other extreme pop along to the royal albert hall and there's a full orchestra there all those individuals probably are, are the world's best or you know amongst the, the, the top one percent of musicians in the world but they can't cope without they can't deliver their best performance without the conductor and the conductor will lead them through rehearsals, will guide them in, in terms of what sort of performance he or she wants to get from them. And uh, when the final performance is delivered, the conductor is leading it and making sure it gets there. But believe you me, the, the conductor may be able to play uh, piano beautifully, but they can't play the French horn as well as the French horn player can play it and, and the percussionist, et cetera, et cetera. And those people all turn up match fit. They bother to learn and become a professional what they do. And the orchestra allows them to, to play the best they can. And that's how you have a hundred, hundred piece orchestra. Um, so that, that links into the, the team-based accountability, doesn't it? Every, every person in the business has a role and we need to know that they're best at that role and that they're fulfilling the function of that role as per the system and that they've been trained to do it that way. And we need to have some sort of mechanism in place to know that, you know, like a, that, that good orchestra, that we know that the, the, the cellist is playing the cello and that they're going to chime in and, and, and play the right notes at the right time for the piece they're playing. And we need exactly the same in our business structure, that everyone's going to do what they're supposed to do by the right time and who's going to do the right thing and when. And I guess that's part of that team-based accountability is just having that faith and that knowledge because we've trained and practiced together to know that everyone's going to chip in and play their role at the right time. And we trust that they do that. 
And I guess the only way to have that happen is to have some sort of feedback mechanism, some sort of monitoring to give us confidence that, hey, it's happened every time before, so therefore we know it's going to happen in the future. And I guess the equivalent of the orchestra is that they're training, they're practicing, rehearsing together, and that's what we're doing day to day in our business. We're, we're doing things every day and we're reporting back and, and providing that feedback. Does that analogy work? I, I think that's got some mileage. I think that's a good one. <laughs> we'll get some traction on that. So one of the things that we've played with is, is you know, we, we've got this functional structure, we've got this culture, we've got a couple of tools to help with team-based accountability. We call it the agile management system for, for building businesses, you know, and the whole purpose being is, you know, why are we here today? We're having conversations around what we need to do to get businesses exit ready. How do we help the business maximize its value? How do we build a management team that has a proven track record of setting targets, setting goals, setting one-year plans, et cetera, and then delivering to those plans? Because it's no good having a plan and then overshooting it by twice or undershooting it by half. You know, we need a management team that has capability that shows that it, year in, year out, it can achieve the plans that it sets. Now that gives buyers confidence that they're buying a capable management team and the owners aren't required to be part of that. That's when we add value to the business and that's when we've got a scalable business that uh, will grow and, and run profitably without the owners being in there on a day-to-day -day basis. The owners don't have to be out of the business altogether. They can be focusing on, on the working on the business as you were mentioning, Kevin, but we need to demonstrate that they don't need to be part of the day-to-day -day operations if you really want to maximize value. And that's what we're here all about after all, so that business owners can get the most of their life's work and exit on their terms. What a wonderful summary. It is, yeah, that just sort of rolled off nicely, didn't it? So um, any final thoughts from you before we wrap up today's rant? Uh, oh, we can have a series of rants. That's a good well, idea. I, th I think it's a great opportunity for us to get on our soapbox and every now and then when we, 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 we spot some themes emerging, we can uh, just get together like we are now and uh, discuss them. And um, yeah, obviously with the intention of helping business owners learn from uh, everyone else's uh, experience. I think my, my final point around it really is that, that, that actually, you know, you alluded to this earlier, it is fine if you want to have a one million pound business with eight to 12, staff but that's absolutely fine it's great do, do that if that's what you want to do but if you want to grow your business you have to you do have to change how you've done things and it is difficult and it can be hard work i do know that because you know perhaps the last five eight years a business has been run in a set way and so you have to break out of old habits and it can feel a little bit uncomfortable but the thing to remember is the rewards are not just financial financial rewards are fantastic but actually the business can end up being so much more fulfilling and so much more fun that you can actually get back to that point when you perhaps first started thinking do you know what i really enjoy this trade i'm in this profession i'm in and you can get back to perhaps being able to focus on that a little bit more so you can make more money and have more fun and have a more engaged team yeah good point it's not unusual is it when we see business owners fall back in love with their business um, because they've now got that freedom and that energy back because uh, it's not consuming their whole life. 
So, uh, hey, that's a great point to end it on, Kevin. Thanks for your time today. Thanks for sharing with me and uh, uh, get jumping on the soapbox and uh, joining me up here. Uh, hopefully it's been beneficial to the listeners. Uh, there, there's a couple of tips in there you know, around structuring your business and, and, and leading the culture. Until next time, speak soon. Thank you very much, Darren.